Isn't it kind of amazing that these days people seem to gravitate only toward their preferred news outlets? So think about it for a second. You can tell a lot about someone's political ideology in this day and age by which media outlets they follow and which ones they shun. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the concept of fake news and how that's become a way to instantly discredit something that we disagree with. So if you are wondering if I'm a Fox News guy or a CNN guy or an MSNBC guy, I'm not. I don't watch cable news. It's hazardous to your health. Before we had fake news, we had spin doctors. I remember starting to hear this term back in the early 90s, and oddly enough, uh, spin doctors and talking heads are the names of bands from the 80s and 90s. But A spin doctor was a talking head that would come on camera or write an article to explain what the news meant. We used to call these editorials. Now it just comes part and parcel as news. No longer were simply the facts of what happened relevant to the public. Now TV media outlets decided that reporting the news also means interpreting the news. Although historically those have been two different arenas. And so I'll say this as loud and clear as I can. Thank God for the local journalist. It's one thing to report what has happened. That is of utmost value. It's another thing for a news outlet to tell you what it means. Interpreting news and events isn't exactly a new concept. There have always been spin doctors as long as there has been anything to report. Job's friends in the book of Job functioned as spin doctors when they tried to explain his misfortunes. They said that his misfortunes were solely the, re the result of his own sinfulness. You have this come up in the Gospels. A man's born blind, and the disciples say to Jesus, Whose fault is it that he's blind? Is it his or his parents' sin that made him blind? Jesus said it's not either one. In our gospel text for this morning, the Pharisees serve as the spin doctors of their day to try and destroy Jesus' reputation and credibility. It wasn't just about the news of what Jesus' disciples were doing that was important to the Pharisees. It's what this news means. The issue at hand for them was the Sabbath, and the Pharisees do their best to discredit Jesus by spinning the behavior of his followers against God's law. It's not just about the news. It's about what this news means. So on this particular Sabbath day, the Pharisees weren't going to waste the chance they had at negative publicity for Jesus. Jesus and his disciples were making their way through a grain field, and the disciples were hungry. So you tell me this, what are you going to do when you're hungry and you're surrounded by food on all sides? More than likely, you're going to pluck a few grains and eat. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Torah is oddly specific about this fact. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses, verse 25 says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Crystal clear. Picking a few pieces to eat isn't the same as harvesting grain. 
One of these things is the built-in generosity of God and his design for Israel, his holy people. The other is theft. So the Pharisees were not ignorant of God's law. They were just legalistic. They knew that they couldn't charge the disciples with stealing food because it's clearly permissible in the law of Moses. But they attacked Jesus by attacking his disciples, arguing that they are violating Sabbath law. You remember this law, don't you? Terry just read it from Deuteronomy. But do you remember its first occasion? Back in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Yet, the Pharisees had very strict rules for what constitutes work. The way they acted, you'd think that these rules were found in the pages of Holy Scripture itself. And yet, this was not the case. It was a collection of regulations and traditions called the Mishnah that laid out the 39, count them, examples of Sabbath violations. How detailed do you have to get? Some such examples as reaping, like we have today, baking, separating two kinds of thread, writing letters, lighting a fire, extinguishing a fire, all of which was considered work on the Sabbath. It was a collection drawn from the teaching of rabbis assembled over the course of about 130 years in the first and second centuries A.D. It wasn't written until the late second, early third century. So oddly enough, in Jesus' day, this Mishnah that they're quoting as if it were the law of God hadn't even been written down yet. It had just been begun to be collected, finalized, and passed down orally. It's worth noting here the concept of Shomer Shabbos. And anyone that's seen The Big Lebowski anytime recently will get this reference. Lead balloon. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. So the Shomer Shabbos is a fence around the law that Jews describe. A fence around the law and a fence around the Sabbath. The idea among the Pharisees was that Israel was under Roman occupation because the people had been unfaithful. They had not kept God's law. And he was punishing them by the hand of foreign invaders as he had done before with the Assyrians, Babylonians, Greeks, and now Romans. The only way, the Pharisees thought, to free Israel from occupation and oppression was to repent and to live according to God's law as closely as possible. So far, so good, right? We can all agree that this is not a bad idea. But the idea of the fence around the law, especially of the Sabbath law, was to create regulations that would keep people from even coming close to violating the law. The law says nobody does work on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees and their rabbis determined that the best way to avoid work was to define work as accurately as possible. 
So it became their regulation to avoid breaking the Sabbath law by not doing anything at all that even remotely resembles work, even if you're extremely hungry and surrounded by food. So in their view, the Sabbath is supreme, man is subject to it. The law is supreme, man is subject to the law absolutely. Jesus' mention here of King David and the showbread didn't only serve as a rebuttal to the Pharisees' objections. It actually provides the correct interpretation of the Sabbath itself. Jesus speaks and teaches with such incredible authority. Do you get this in just hearing the text? He speaks as if he were there when the law was given to Moses. As if he were there when David and his cohort ate the showbread in the tabernacle. It's as if he knows and has always known the true meaning of the Sabbath and they were the ones mistaken. That kind of authority, that kind of boldness. Any guesses why? He wrote it. He gave it. He was there in the six days of creation. The word by which the world was spoken into existence. He was there on the seventh day, resting. He was there speaking to Moses, leading God's people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He was there on Mount Sinai, speaking to Moses, the commandment itself. He was there in the tabernacle when David and his men were hungry. So yeah, when it gets right down to it, it's not just the news itself, it's what it means. Jesus reorients his hearer's understanding of the Sabbath back to what he had intended it to be. The Sabbath, this is a real literal translation, the Sabbath has come into existence on account of man, and not man on account of the Sabbath. As a result, the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is not that you have to struggle to work as little as possible. If you're hungry on Sunday afternoon, turn on your stove and cook something. The Sabbath is an intentional practice instituted by God for the rest and refreshment of his beloved people. And this is why it's so nice to have the second statement of this law from Deuteronomy as our Old Testament text this morning. I read to you the first occurrence of the Sabbath law from Exodus, and Terry had read the second occurrence from Deuteronomy. But did you know Moses had presented the law to the people of Israel twice? On, after coming down from Mount Sinai, and toward the end of his life, right before they were poised to enter the promised land when their wilderness wanderings were coming to an end. In fact, that's what Deuteronomy literally means. Second law. It's the second time they heard God's law. And something differs the second time around when God gives the law again the second time through Moses. The first time, God connects the Sabbath law with the seven days of creation, six days and a day of rest. But in Deuteronomy, God says this, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand 
and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. God himself connects the Sabbath and its rest with his deliverance and freedom of his people. So when you're reading the Bible, always, always, always pay attention to words like therefore. Because they indicate purpose. Why did God command the Sabbath day? Because his people were slaves and he freed them. In systems of slavery, people are defined by their actions. Your output is your worth. The only value that you have is the value of what you can accomplish. In slavery, people aren't even defined as human beings. They're defined as humans doing. Is the Sabbath a law? Yes, absolutely. It is commanded by God. And we fail to keep the Sabbath law on such a regular basis. But although it's law, it's also law for our own good. If you keep up the pace of working, working, working without end, even in your retirement, not only will you burn up and burn out, but you will miss out on the source of life itself, God's presence and God's gifts. So why do we invite people to worship here on Sunday? Why do we even assemble here at all? Because God has gifts to give you. And this is why we as Lutheran Christians define the commandment in this way. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred, gladly hear and learn it. That's what it means to keep the Sabbath. Because Jesus says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And God's purpose in instituting the Sabbath is that we would find rest in the areas that we need rest. Mentally, physically, spiritually, especially spiritually. We rest from the mental stress of the work week. Shut your email notifications off and let Monday's work arrive on Monday. Rest your body. Sit down. Pour a cold beverage. Pour a cold Lutheran beverage, if you want. <laughs> Not from compulsion, but from freedom. Let your body do what God has designed it to do, to repair itself and replenish its energy. But most importantly of all, find rest for your soul. I think in some ways human beings are capitalists by nature. It's so apparent that in all areas of life we reap what we sow. You get out what you put in. No different is our natural approach to spirituality. We are hardwired by our fallen sinful nature to believe that if we are going to make things right with God, it's going to be up to us. How often do we approach church on Sunday morning as if it were us fulfilling an obligation to God? I don't really feel like going, but I know that it's what I'm supposed to do. It's like the young man, young adult man still at home with his parents. And his mom comes in Sunday morning and says, wake up, it's time to go to church. 
Well, let me sleep. Five minutes later, she comes back. It's time to go to church. It's time to get up. No, I'm not going to church. Five minutes later, she comes back. Get up. It's time to go to church. And he said, I'm not going to church. I'm exhausted. There's no point in going to church. The people are all hypocrites. Why would I bother going anyway? And his mother said to him, it's because you are their pastor. <laughs> the only one doing work here today should be me, God willing. You don't come here to help out God. In Psalm 50, God says, if I needed something, I wouldn't tell you about it. But how often do we approach church as if it's something that we're doing to check it off our spiritual list, to punch our cosmic time clock, and to get on God's good side? And maybe it's been this way for the last 17 centuries or so that Christianity has dominated Western culture. But no longer. No longer is going to church going with the flow. If you are here, more than likely it's because you want to be. Keep in mind that you're not here to help God out. You're here with an open hand and an empty bag to receive his gifts. Sabbath law serves as a reminder to us that we are human beings, not humans doing. We are not slaves any longer. Jesus the Lord, even on the Sabbath, has said that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Your identity in Christ is not your output. Your worth is not determined by your productivity. Your value in God's sight is not the balance of your bank accounts. You are a beloved child of the Most High God, forgiven and free. Your value in God's sight is every drop of the precious blood of Christ. It is on Sunday that we gather together that we find rest for our souls. You've been trying for six days to save yourself, whether you know it or not. Deep down we think, if I do a really good job, I'll be secure. If I earn more or if I spend less, I'll be safe. Deep down, we all struggle with the idea that God's view of us is based on our works, just like everyone else's view of us is. And today, there's plenty of people who try to reshape even the Sabbath in their own image. I can find physical relaxation and worship God on the golf course, at the ballpark, on the soccer field or out on the lake, just as well as any pew sitter in church, and probably even better. You might find God in nature and in leisure time, but what you won't find is true recreation. Rather, I should say, recreation, being made new. That can only be found where God's gift of forgiveness is distributed. See, the atmosphere itself is full of water. It's everywhere all around us. We call that in some places humidity, although we don't know what that means here. The atmosphere is full of water, but if you want to drink, you still got to go to the source, to a river, a well, or a faucet. Likewise, God is everywhere. 
He is on the golf course and the ballpark and the soccer field. But if you want to encounter him in his mercy and his grace, you go where he's promised to be found. Find him in the font. You find him at the altar. You find him in his holy, precious word. The Son of Man is Lord over all creation, even of the Sabbath. And he has called, enlightened, and gathered you together here to receive his amazing grace right from the source. To receive his true rest, his true freedom, his recreating word. You see, it's not just about the news itself, but it is, in fact, what this news means. These are not the empty words of a spin doctor. This is the word of the Lord. This good news that Jesus, the very word by which creation ex itself exists, that this Jesus was made flesh and made his dwelling place among us. And from his fullness we have received grace piled on top of grace, says St. John. The news is that this Jesus set about another work of creation. Beginning on Palm Sunday, his entrance into Jerusalem. Throughout the week, in his supper and betrayal on Thursday, his Friday death, and his Sabbath rest in the tomb. This work of creation in Christ has brought about a brand new world that is breaking forth right here in the middle of this old dying one. And what this news means is that you are forgiven and you are free. You are a beloved child of God and you have eternal life in him. And you have true Sabbath rest for your soul. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And now may the peace of our God, which surpasses all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen. Would you rise as we confess that faith in the words of the Nicene Creed?